episode of Theology Doesn't Suck, where hopefully theology doesn't suck. And if it does, as I've said before, it's more than likely Marty's fault. Never mind. And so, <laughs> Marty, this is what you get for not recording intros. So, I'm Josh Patterson, BTW, and this is my buddy Marty. What's going on, man? Not much. You know, that's partly the reason why I don't record uh, intros is because I really want to give you an opportunity to make fun of me since I make fun of you so often. That's fair. You know? And, you know, like right now, like Josh is wearing nothing but Washington Capitals things. He's probably wearing Washington Capitals underwear. Um, you know, he's <laughs> <laughs> who knows. But I mean, like like he's got a Caps hat. He's got a Caps sweater on. He's got a Caps shirt on underneath that sweater. He's got Capitals pants. Like, you know, I'm sure there's Capitals socks and Capitals shoes and his headphones even though they are in Capitals headphones, he's written Washington Capitals on the sides of his headphones so that everyone knows that he's a Capitals fan. With red Sharpie. Yeah, with that's red right, Sharpie. with a red Sharpie. And it's silver, so it's not quite the right color scheme, but, like, if you, if you see it from a different – like, if you see it from far away, you're like, oh, okay, that guy's a Capitals fan. Yeah, or if the lighting's good. If the lighting's good. Yeah, yeah. last week when we talked um, – the Capitals and the Blackhawks were going to be playing a preseason game, and the Blackhawks lost Ha-ha. to the Capitals. LOL, and Josh, the Blackhawks. And when, when the Blackhawks lost, I think Josh posted like eight or nine different things on his <laughs> Facebook feed that the Capitals won the game, including like on my wall. But then like he like shared like their official like Caps win, you know, four to three. And I remember being like, dude, like it's the first – preseason game <laughs> like no one important played at all except for tom wilson that scored the winning goal yeah he so. shut it down he was like i'm the best player out here and uh the only thing worse than preseason overtime is a preseason shootout so he was yeah. like i gotta shut this down <laughs> no and, more and not only that but he's like one of the biggest goons in hockey these days so eh, false he used to be his game <clears throat> developed a lot he was a 20 goal scorer last year he plays on the top line next to Nick Backstrom and Alex Ovechkin. He he pulls up from hits he used to make. He hasn't been suspended in a while. He used to be a goon, but he got his stuff together. But but let's be honest, once a goon, always a goon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, if you were as big as him, man, like, you know, I don't know. It's weird, dude, because, like, before you couldn't skate through the neutral zone with your head down and, like, not die. And now the league is, like, protective of that because they want, like, speed and all this goal scoring. And so when someone skates through the neutral zone with their head down, your instinct is to blow them up because they shouldn't have their head down. <laughs> yeah. You know? But I don't know. I'm not a hockey player. I should be no. one. Well, I, Josh, I, before uh, – well, oh, I'm sorry. Finish what you were going to say. I was going to interrupt you. Uh, I was going to say if, if I was a hockey player, though, I'd probably skate through the neutral zone with my head down and get blown up. So <laughs> <laughs> I probably would too. <laughs> well, I have, a, I have a cool idea. What's that? What if you, you, you read something for me earlier um, and I thought it was really cool? What if, what if you read that again, that, that quote? Oh sure. That, you, that your pastor read just to just that could maybe like transition us from hockey to theology to our guest today. Oh yeah, and then we we'll, I want to get his his personal opinion on this translation too because he does have a PhD and so that means he's intelligent. Yeah. Um, so how about this? How about we bring him in and then I'll read it and then we'll get his professional opinion. 
Sounds good. All right. So with us today is a, a good friend of mine. And like I said, he has a PhD, so you guys better listen up. And with us today is then Dr. Jace Broadhurst. What's up, Jace? Hey, guys. How are you? Doing good. I'm good. Yeah, do you make all of your people sit through all that stuff about hockey? Because I, I wrote a sermon. I did some Amazon ordering. Um, <laughs> it was it was a long time about something that no one in the world cares about. <laughs> wow. That's that's oh, oh, sorry, dude. I, I mean, that was great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Josh, I thought you said Jace was nice and cool and he was going to be so affirming. Yeah. <laughs> My language is words of affirmation. Like, I can't handle this, man. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you didn't include me in the banter, so I felt kind of rejected. I, uh, I just have to sit and listen to it. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Well, we're, we're, we have a little bit of banter for you then. Oh, then, great. All right. So... <laughs> Uh, well, I'm going to read basically what this is, Jace, is uh, yesterday at church, we um, kind of talked about, so we're in this series called Transforming Your World, and we talked about one way that we can transform our world is by bridging the gap, the generational gap, right? Oftentimes, uh, we talk about um, like racial divides or things like that, but we're going to, we try to talk about bridging the generational gap. And so Mark, uh, the head pastor, uh, read this translation of a, a pretty famous passage in scripture, oftentimes uh, deemed like the love paragraph or whatever uh, from Paul. And so I'm going to read it. And then I just want your expert analysis. Oh boy. Great. Sound good? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I have a PhD, so I know every verse in the Bible. In Greek. You do. You do. That's what that means. Right? Yes. I, th- I thought that's how you got one, which is why Can I, I don't say that. Mark Tyndall's brilliant. And whatever he said is probably fine. <laughs> <laughs> right on. That's good. Okay. I'll, He's getting kudos now, so uh, yeah, I'll I'll make sure Mark knows. Well, he'll listen to this, and then he can hear you say nice things about him. All <laughs> right, good. I, I've met him once, I think. So, and everything I have to say is great from that one meeting. It's yeah, awesome. Mark Mark's awesome. Uh, but here's here's the the passage. It says this. It's a Gen Z translation. Love love is chill. Love is dank. It does not thirst. It does not flex. It is not extra. It does not cancel others. It is not sus. It is not salty. It keeps no receipts. Love does not spill the tea, but rejoices with the woke. It always stands, is always fam, is always goat, always slays. The word of God for the people of God. Wow. Are we supposed (laughs) to say, like, you know, thanks be to God after that? I don't know. I tried the liturgical thing. It, It fell. It's okay. If I don't locked. even know what at least a few of those words mean, and I've got teenagers. So I, what is sus? What is fam? I don't know what those things are. Sus is suspect. So, like, love is not suspect. Oh, so we just we can just cut that to sus now? All right. Yeah. I got to I gotta jump in. I got I to gotta become more woke, apparently. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, will you text that to me, by the way? I want that. Yeah, I'll send it to you. I should post it on the, the Instagram feed as well. Sweet. All right. Send to Marty Frederick. Done. That's coming your way. All right, guys. Well, how about this? Let's get your expert analysis. Send us a message. uh, Comment on our Facebook page, Instagram. Let us know what you think about that translation. And uh, if you like it enough, Marty, I'm going to make a bold statement for you. Uh, Come on, you, you, you took it to me last week too. Well, if if they give us a whole lot of money, Marty and I will translate the entire Bible into Gen Z language. Okay, <laughs> and and we'll have it overseen by Dr. Jace Broadhurst so that we have credibility. 
because he has a PhD, so it'll be good. How much money am I getting out of this deal? I'm curious. Uh, we'll split 60%. it. 60%. We'll split it? Okay. Right. 60%. Oh, 60. Yeah, you get 60. Marty and I will split the, the last 40. All right, so 60% of a whole bunch of money. Yeah. Uh, we know exactly what that is, so that'll be great. All right, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Dope. Yeah, listeners, be on the lookout for that. Sweet. <laughs> Anyways, maybe we should uh, maybe uh, uh, shift things, shift gears here a little bit. Um, and real fast, Jace, one thing that we always do uh, is we have a question that we ask all of our guests. And it's super important. Uh, it's a serious question. And you have to give an answer. Are you okay with he's that? Already give, he's already given himself away a little bit on this question. <laughs> I, I, I have a hard time believing that it's a serious question just based on that intro, but I am ready. All right. Here it is. What is your favorite hockey team? <laughs> Um, I guess in order to continue this interview, I have to say Capitals. Woohoo! Good oh. job. Well done, Jace. Good job. Okay. I appreciate it. To you know, take that verse seriously. To you know what Paul says, become like others so you can relate to them. I appreciate it. Oh yeah. No, I I realize I have to compromise all the reality, the truth of the world in order to just connect to people. So I'm in. <laughs> Perfect. Sweet. All right. Well, thank you for that. And then the next question we ask is, is actually a little bit more serious. We just want to, to get to know you a little bit better. So can you kind of tell us like uh, who you are, what you do, um, maybe a little bit just, you know, like uh, biographical kind of stuff? Yeah. Well, you already told everyone that I was a PhD, which obviously means I know Hebrew and Greek perfectly. Um, <laughs> so anything I say is considered to be the truth just – objectively. So there's that. Um, before, before I was the brilliant person that I am now, I was, I grew up in Maryland. So yeah, caps, I'm, I'm okay with caps and let's see, um, regular church, uh, evangelical fundamentalist growing up. My parents loved Jesus. I pretty much always loved Jesus. As a teenager, um, major pride issues, very much wanted to be the best when it came to theology and know all that stuff. So I was studying Greek as a teenager and getting up in the morning and making sure people knew how incredibly uh, intelligent I was. Um, apparently that hasn't changed a lot. So, uh, yeah, and decided to go to seminary because I was teaching a Bible study that blew up with a bunch of single adults, and it was, and we had a lot of fun there. And I just thought I should probably know a little bit more, so I went for a year. But you know, then you got established there, so you couldn't stay for two years. And I was like, I might as well finish the divinity degree, so I went for three years and um, got married in that time. Uh, had a kid, moved to Philadelphia to do the PhD. Had another kid, moved to Kenya to teach at the university there, came back home, had another kid. Uh, let's see what's happened since then. I became a pastor and I pastored for 13 years in the Maryland area, uh, 12 and a half years. And now I'm in Indiana pastoring. So there you go. And all that stuff I hope everyone heard was tongue in cheek about the brilliance. I can't remember most of my Hebrew or Greek, um, <laughs> but I still do translation work for sermons and things like that. Nice. Yeah. Sweet. So what, um, what exactly is your, like your PhD in like, what, what was your concentration or whatever? My degree is in hermeneutics, my PhD. So I concentrated in Old Testament Torah. So I have a 
biblical studies degree in in Pentateuch. I don't know how you want to say it, but the degree is hermeneutics, technically. So, so you know how to read the Bible really well. That is that is the idea. That is what I tell people. Yes, perfect. But really, it just it just you know now I know what all the problems are. That's really all it does. And I try to <laughs> I try to solve some of them. And the reality is, anything that I solved five years ago, you know, I'm reconsidering today. So. I think it's just this big long journey. You realize what a journey this is, and and you just enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, it's almost it's almost like I tell my students: the more that I read and study theology, the less I, or the more I realize that I actually don't really know anything. <laughs> that is exactly right. The more you know, the less you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of crazy. What um just also for context, real quick, what you said you pastored a church in the Maryland area for about twelve and a half years. Uh, what yep. kind of church uh, was that, and then what kind of church are you in now? Yep, that was a Southern Baptist church. Um, w- was that a was that an actual sneeze or was that a uh, a rejection of the Southern Baptist church? Thing? <laughs> oh, oh, I thought I muted my microphone. I had to cough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so Southern Baptist. Uh, yeah, when I was when I finished my PhD, I was at home, and uh, this church called me and said, "Hey, could you come preach for us?" And I said, "Yeah, I got to put food on the table for my kids." And I decided to do that. And then we kept talking and they said, do you want to come on full time? And I said, sure, I will be there for a couple of three years because I want to go into the academy. I want to teach. I want to train pastors. But it might be good for me to be a pastor for a few years. And, you know, God's sense of humor. Twelve and a half years later, I was still there. (laughs) Um, And Southern Baptist is a fine fit for me. To be honest with you, almost anything is a fine fit for me now as long as the church can tolerate me. And they want to grow and think um, denominations aren't hugely important to me. Okay, but but I do have more of a reformed bend to me. That is, I I've just kind of grown up in that world, um, so I like it. I don't I don't think it has all the right answers to everything, but I, I enjoy it. So I'm in a Presbyterian church now, an Evangelical Presbyterian church, and. Uh, you know, it's a much larger church and, you know, I'm kind of a CEO at the same time as a pastor and it's a very different world here, um, in the Midwest, but I love it. I, I just, God has just blessed me with honestly two great congregations. I did some pastoring before, but not as a senior pastor. So these two roles, I just, the elders, the leaders, the people are just amazing. So sorry, I went a little further than what you asked. Baptist and Presbyterian. There you go. That's the answer you want. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Thank you so much. That's great. Well, uh, so today, Jace, basically, uh, we wanted to have a conversation um, around, like, I guess primarily the the word for it would be doubt. But we see, uh, you know, it's, it's becoming kind of uh, maybe trendy is the wrong word, but maybe not. Uh, trendy, these, you know, spiritual leaders or, you know, Christian leaders that people look up to, that they respect, you know, they've put out a bunch of books or they were worship leaders or they're pastors at, you know, mega churches or whatever. Uh, we're seeing them peace out, leave the faith, uh, completely. And so it seems to be kind of, kind of like an issue and often, uh, doubt comes in and, and plays into that conversation. So, uh, with, you know, myself and also Marty and yourself, uh, serving in full-time vocational ministry. Um, and I think correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's fair to say that all of us have had doubts and questioned things 
uh, before or maybe continue to do so. Um, I thought it might be a, an interesting conversation just to, to talk about that and, and what it looks like. What do you think? I'm in. Yeah. All right, sweet. So uh, <laughs> perfect <laughs> that, that you're good. <laughs> so I think, I guess just to start the, the conversation off, uh, oftentimes, and I know especially when I was growing up, I was always told that you can't doubt in the faith. If you're doubting, then you're not really saved or you don't understand God or your faith isn't big enough. Um, what do you think about when people say things like that? Yeah, I understand what they're saying. Um, you know, I had a great conversation with this church that I loved in Maryland with the elder team there. And we had this back and forth, you know, they, they said, I was talking to them about my own doubt and they said, you really can't doubt and be a Christian. And, and it was hard for me to grasp what they were saying, but I, I guess I hear it. I, what they're saying is, and how can you be a Christian and doubt the existence of God or doubt that, that God is who he says he is if, if you're having that that's feelings, then you're not committed. You're not fully in. So I, I hear it. I get it. And I know why people want to say that. I, I just think that I just think that's unhealthy. I'm not sure that that's the best way of getting it. I, I've had, well, I mean, I have to say that experientially I've had doubt. So you said, I think, I think it's probably fair to say we've all had doubt. Yeah. And we have doubts at different levels, right? So, you know, I doubt that this text says that particular thing. That's normal. But when we're talking about like bigger metaphysical kinds of things, that's when it gets a little scarier. Do we doubt that God exists? Do we doubt that God loves us? Um, what kind of doubt are we talking about? So, yeah, I think it's a good conversation to have. Mm. Yeah, sweet. Marty, do you have any thoughts right off the bat? Yeah, you know, we recently, as a worship pastor, um, the whole situation with Marty Sampson um, experiencing doubt and then, you know, kind of coming public uh, in his in his desire to kind of walk away from Christianity, um, it really raised a lot of questions in me, um, specifically along the lines of, um, being in ministry, what kind of cultures are we working in where we can, where it's safe to ask questions or it's not safe to ask questions about faith? Um, and I know Marty Sampson has been a worship leader with Hillsong for decades. I mean, he's been he's been songwriting for them forever. I mean, most of the songs that like their top songwriters have written, like he's had a hand in, and a lot of them he's had credit on this the song title. Um, and then he's done tons of singing with it too. Also, so I mean, like he's he's been a huge. He's just been a, like a like a mountain for Hillsong Church and their music and all that stuff. And uh, I remember talking with somebody here at my church, just saying, you know, what kind of culture does does the church, like the Hillsong Church specifically, have where it's okay to ask questions as a staff member if you're curious about faith or there's something you're wrestling with, uh, and just how important that is to be in a place where. You know, you're not you're not going public. You're not standing up on Sunday morning and saying, hey, good morning. And by the way, uh, I've really been questioning whether or not the Bible is true this, this week. Um, but, you know, you're, you're you're having conversations with people that you trust and with mentors and, you know, sort of like you're engaged in Paul, Timothy type relationships with others um, so that you can ask questions. They can ask questions. And it's not it's not to walk away from the faith, but instead it's to build your faith even deeper Um and so that kind of was that, that that's been kind of on my mind a lot lately, and then particularly with Marty Sampson, that that kind of came out even bigger. 
Yes. Yeah, and, and it's not just Marty. Of course, it's you know Gungor before that. It's yep. Yep. Science Mike. It's Josh Harris. Yeah. Um, all of these coming out. And yeah, I think the question that you just had was, what kind of a what kind of a place do we have to have those kinds of questions? Is it a safe place? And I wonder about these guys. And I don't know. I mean, I know Josh Harris a little bit, but I don't know these guys personally. I don't know what really prompted. Um, they're leaving. There could be a, a million different things going on and probably are more than one thing. But certainly um, intellectual conversations, are, are they having those with people? And do people give them that safe space? Or was there a, was there a box put around them that mm-hmm. said, this, this is how far you can go. And as soon as you go outside of that, well, we, we reject you. And they, you know, it's like, well, I, I can't stay within this box. And so all of a sudden I feel like I've lost everything. I've lost my faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, is it a safe place? I think it was a great. Uh, there's a great book Ian Cron wrote many years ago. I know he's big on Enneagram now, but um, uh, it's it's Chasing Francis, where the pastor stands up. It's a fiction book. Okay. Um, but it was hugely beneficial to me. A, a pastor stands up in a mega church and says, "Yeah, I think I think I'm done," and then he goes on this spiritual journey. Uh, the, the the church gives him, I guess, a couple months sabbatical. I can't remember. It's been a while to try and figure this stuff out. And he goes and, and he kind of delves into the ancient mystical practices in the Catholic church and just goes around and chases, um, St. Francis of Assisi is what it's about, you know, kind of going where St. Francis went and learning about a deeper, maybe a deeper faith. Um, anyway, I don't remember too much about the book, but it was very helpful to me. Mm. Yeah. I'll be sure to link that, uh, in the show notes then, um, as well for people to go ahead and pick up, uh, but I think it's, I don't know, I think it's interesting, this idea of being able to create like a, a safe space or, or whatever to, to have these kind of conversations. Um, and it's something that like I've tried really hard uh, to do within, um, you know, my realm of, of working with students at my current church. Uh, and luckily, it's something that like by the leadership at the church uh, has been pretty cool about and and it kind of sees value and it's interesting because you get you definitely get pushback on this kind of stuff um you know but I'm talking about like I when I speak to the students I I always constantly am showing this uh this diagram this understanding uh that I did not come up with myself I believe I stole it from Greg Boyd of concentric circles and in the the center the the smallest circle is Jesus and Jesus is like a non-negotiable. You can't, you know, you don't have Jesus, you don't have Christianity. And then the next circle out from that is dogma. And dogma is kind of the the things that Christians as a whole across the theological spectrum, uh, Catholic, Protestant, whatever, kind of a, agree upon. So things like uh, creeds. And then outside of that is you have doctrine, which are important things, uh, important positions, but doctrines differ uh, within churches. That's why we have so many different denominations, why we have, you know, people arguing all the time because doctrinal, uh, positions can be held, uh, differently. Uh, but we can, you know, and we might not agree. We might not be able to be in the same congregation together. Uh, but we can't kick people out of the faith because they hold to different, you know, doctrinal positions. And then on the outside is opinions, um, which is exactly what it sounds like. And so I always try to help my students, see where uh, the issues we're talking about fall in those concentric circles um, and then encourage them to like read their Bible and pray and study and seek answers for themselves. 
which I think that sounds really healthy, but also I get a lot of pushback from that, uh, from, you know, some specific crowds saying like, no, you need to teach them biblical truth. You need to tell them this or you're lying to them. Or I saw somebody said like ecumenicalism is heresy. Um, all this kind of stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the problem, of course, and you you got to understand that uh, why they think that is because your circles they put certain things in dogma that you put in doctrine. Yeah. So, it's not that they disagree with you; they're happy with those circles. You just put the, you put that in the wrong category. <laughs> so, for them, whatever they believe about ecumenicalism is now a dogma. So, that's why the circles don't ultimately work it's a great pedagogical tool of course sure but if we don't know where things go so like so i'm talking um a few weeks ago i'm talking about what the gospel is Mm. right what is the gospel right and so i start defining the gospel and i define it in my elevator you know everybody wants an elevator pitch can you define the gospel in the elevator i'm like yeah jesus is king amen (laughs) right so there's the gospel the good news it's a proclamation that jesus is king well the backlash in my church was just like amazing, like a huge amount of, uh, and not a lot of people, but a couple of loud people, right? And mm-hmm. not, and I don't mean loud in a negative sense, but they had the conversation with me, and they were gentle later on, and and but the, that's not the gospel for them. The gospel is Jesus died on the cross for our sins to save me and to make a personal have a personal savior, um, and you know that's a which is it, which is it. This is a dogma issue. The gospel's dogma, yeah, but I just defined it differently than they're used to. So, you know, and I, I, this isn't the place to define the gospel, I guess. But hmm. uh, how? Where do you put the? What, what category are things put in? Uh-huh. I, I guess I don't want to be too critical sure. of those those people. Um, and even when we say those people, it's like, you know, them versus me. <laughs> right. um, I think you had Fitch on pretty recently, right? The gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but, you know, people who disagree with me are those people. So uh, I don't want to be too critical of them. They have, they have a point. So yeah. uh, they just, they just put things in different categories. And as they grow, I assume, and as I grow, we're going to recategorize things. We're going to say, okay, there's less in that dogma category than we thought. Yeah, sure. So how, how then, like, you know, as the, as the head pastor of that congregation, how, like, what did you do to kind of address that situation? Like how, you know, what kind of conversations did you have with people, you know, if any, or, or what did you, what did you do with that? Yeah, I've got a few different plans. Uh, First of all, it came up in a Sunday school class, so I dealt with it right there. And I just tried to show that, for instance, in this case, you know, that Jesus talks about sharing the gospel long before he's been crucified and, and risen. So therefore that can't be the whole amount of the gospel. So I just, I, you know, I tried to explain it and gently just had a conversation with them. Um, later on, we went out to eat, we talked, you know, got some information there. Um, we get to know the person a little bit more. Once you know the person, they, you know, they become not the antagonizers, they become people. So just having a conversation with people is super helpful. But also I want to I want to answer this question in a more full sense. So we're going to do, we do a YouTube thing. So I'm going to sit down with somebody in, and I guess kind of do the same thing that we're doing right now. And we're going to talk through what is the gospel okay, um, and, and see how verses and, you know, I'm not a proof texter, so I don't think verses answer the question, but they okay. at least help. Yeah. Um, I'd rather see the whole Hills Kashikta to see what the story is, the narrative that's going, going forward. So, 
you know, have the conversations gently, humbly realize that I still have a lot to learn from people who are, who are thinking differently than me. It's the whole beauty of scripture is that we can, we're actually supposed to do it in community. So I had a lot to learn from, um, these people who disagreed with me. And I know, I mean, being humble, I, you know, at least I try to make it sometimes pretty well. Um, <laughs> I, I know that, you know, what I, what I believed a few years ago, I'm not, I'm not in the same place. So I have something to learn from anybody. So that's how I dealt with it. Sweet. Awesome. So like uh, something that seems like it, it's a common theme or that keeps coming up is this idea of uh, continual learning within our faith. And so oftentimes it, it seems like, or at least I remember being told growing up that like these, these, this is what it means to be a Christian. These are the things that you have to hold to. This is the objective truth. Uh, and you have to stick to this. And so then people, um, basically you arrive, quote unquote, arrive once you affirm those, you know, objective truths. But it seems like you're saying that theology or beliefs are, are almost more fluid. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think our beliefs are, I mean, for centuries, the Bible itself was fluid. So uh, I, I know most that might shock some people, but yeah, there wasn't there wasn't a closed canon. It, it was supposed to be redacted. It was meant to be that way. Um, a lot of the Jewish scholars still kind of see it as to be discussed. It's a it's it's a good way to start the conversation. Um, so yeah, I think our theology is fluid. Is that what you asked? Is is our yeah, theology yeah, yeah. fluid? Is our yep. thinking? Yeah. Um, I think it would be horrible to come to a conclusion that can't ever be changed. Uh, that just means this is what doubt is all about, isn't it? This it's it's called thinking. So if you're thinking and you're reading, then you're finding that somebody else has a different opinion, and usually they're not going to publish that book if it's an absolutely ridiculous opinion. <laughs> so it might have some, but remember, books aren't even designed. If we think about books this way, it will change everything. Books aren't designed to give us the answers to things. They're, the, they're designed to, to continue the conversation. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a book, um, I don't know, what, eight, nine years ago. And I'd say this, this isn't self-deprecating. I mean, it is, but it's not for the purpose of, of being human. That book is worthless. Like, <laughs> it is of no use to anyone. No one should buy that book. Um, and if you really want to, please don't buy it from the publisher, buy it from me. Cause I got like 20 copies here and I only make like 14 cents. So uh, from the <laughs> publisher, so I can make like 17, but, but don't buy it. It's not, <laughs> I, I like to think in the best situation that it was helpful at the time to get through the conversation about Protestant orthodoxy and hermeneutics about this particular person in the mid sixties, you know, I think moved the conversation forward, but I don't even like, it may have just been rejected out of hand and moved on. That's okay with me. So it's just, this is thinking, here's where I am now. Let me present this. Okay. You've got some counterpoints. Oh yeah. All your counterpoints are good. Actually, they're better than my original points. All right, let's move on from there. What now let's start rejecting or accepting these counterpoints and, and thinking through them. I, I don't know where your original question was. Sometimes I just blabber off. So you can shut me up anytime, Marty. And Josh too. <laughs> no, no. Well, I, I think I think what you said was really interesting to me. You you made you said something um, a few minutes ago about how like if if we if we come to a conclusion about something and then we can never discuss that conclusion again, um, like just how dangerous that is. And and I I honestly think that's where 
you know, I think some of the issues within Christianity have fallen. I think, you know, if, even if we just, even if we just think in general about, um, you know, different social issues, and I, I don't want to necessarily bring up anyone specific, but um, I, I think that there are a lot of social issues that I think Christians had come to conclusions on earlier on in the 1900s um, that, that were being challenged. Um, and they were, and they, there was a blurred line as to whether they were dogma or doctrine for some people. Yeah. And, so, and so because of that blurred line, and then even for some of them, it was a very clear line, you know, this is definitely dogma, you know, but their social issues, I mean, in my opinion, a social issue should almost never, the issue itself be a dogma. There, there may be the purpose behind it that's dogma, but not the issue itself, um, and so I think because that blurred line was there or those hard lines were made were, were drawn up in the sand, I think that made it really difficult for people to be able to have conversations about, you know, controversial, quote unquote, topics. Um, and, and, and I think that really I think that really has hindered us as Christians from being salt and light, as Paul talks about. I mean, I think it's, it's been difficult now as a Christian personally that wants to have those conversations, that wants to understand people in the position that they're in. Like, you know, just talking about Marty Sampson again, like I would love to talk with him and have a conversation and, under, and understand his perspective on faith, where he's at. Not because I want to try and change his mind, but because I legitimately want to know. Um, but I think that in today's day and age, um, that question about Marty Sampson or about others like Gunger or William Matthews, who's also on the Liturgist podcast, um, that have walked away from faith, um, I think that it becomes more so a, you're going to try and convert me back. And so I don't know that I want to have that conversation with you, um, which I think becomes dangerous. So, like, just yeah. to... Yeah, I mean, one other thing I'll say, and then I'll I'll stop talking. Uh, I'm not I'm not the smartest one here by any stretch. Um, <laughs> um, there was a there, our church does a thing called C3, which is Christianity, Culture, and Conversation. It's a basically it's a one hour thing after service every week where we talk about a social issue, and it's never meant to be definitive. Where we come to a where, where we solve a problem, or we you know, we have a conversation and everyone leaves on the same page, you know, so sometimes that never happens. Like we did a conversation once, um, on the, on the problem at our Southern border. Okay. So no one walked away from that conversation. Like, Hey, great. We solved the problem. Like let's, let's call, uh, up, up Trump and the government and we can tell them we solved it. Like <laughs> it was, it was meant to be a conversation within our people just to have a conversation about topics and be talking about them and have it open. And, um, uh, there was a conversation about Marty Sampson, and I wasn't actually able to be there. Um, but what I was told later on was that some of the conversation was, we essentially need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Any song that he's written, um, we need to stop singing. Any 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 church that has uh, in the past put a stamp of approval on something he's done, we need to walk away from and not utilize any further. Um, you know, and so granted, yes, there was, there was a wide age gap in, in the room. So like the huge difference of people. So that was not every voice. Um, but it was definitely one of the voices or a few of the voices in the room. Um, and I, and I personally, I mean, not only as a worship pastor, cause I realized if you cut out the music that Hillsong wrote, <laughs> you, you're going to cut out like 25% of the song. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but also on top of that, like, I feel like that's a dangerous place to be. When we are saying, oh, you've made this decision, and so 
we're going to now walk away from you as well. And, and, I, and I think we I think we do that thinking it's just the song. It's, it's just the lyrics of that song or it's just it's just the fact that like you're in a bad place right now. But I, one of the reminders I, I was giving people talking about it later on is like, well, when he wrote that song, he may not have been in that place questioning mm-hmm. his faith. And the lyrics to that song, if they were true, then they're still true now. You know, it, it doesn't mean that now that he has personally decided to walk away from faith that, oh, well, now all of a sudden these lyrics he wrote, well, those are questionable. Um, or they were written from a, from, a, from a place of, you know, he wasn't really following Jesus at that time. I mean, that could be true. But if the lyrics are biblical, there's no reason to walk away from it, I guess. So um, I think I think what I'm saying is we draw these lines in the sand between <laughs> dogma and doctrine, I think, often that then turns us into this into these people that can't meet people where they're at that can't and it and it and it actually walks away from that chance to provide culture to ask questions to 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 dig deep into your faith you know to to read job and to say you know oh, man i just don't really like this whole idea of of job being this plaything between god and <laughs> satan and that's how i'm reading it and and someone could say, wait, wait, hold on a minute. Like, let's let's go back and look at it together, you know. But to be able to say that and to be able to say it in a safe way, I think, I think brings us closer together. I think it knits us together as as people of faith. But I also think it provides opportunities for us to understand the text deeper. Uh, instead of walking away, I think we need to dig deeper and go further in. And I realize that's not everyone's story, but that's that's been my story, I guess. Wow. Yeah, that was that was really good. I thought of like 19 things that I wanted to say in the midst of all of that stuff. <laughs> Me too. Because uh, you just kept saying awesome stuff. So, I, yeah, I was thinking specifically with, I guess, your bigger theme. Um, I'm pretty sure if I remember my church history right, which is very doubtful, that the, that the Catholic Church, you know, they'd marry certain people and then certain of these priests would lapse. They would they had moved away or they had, you know, they didn't uh, hold strong to the faith. And there was this controversy in church history as to whether what the priests had done in the past would be legit, specifically when it came to marriages. So if they sure. married someone, would that marriage, should that marriage be um you know, should it hold up? Was uh, it legit, or did they have to get remarried? Were they like not really married because of the lapse of these priests? And I'm pretty sure it ended okay, and that everybody was able to stay married, um, and, and that the, that it was considered legit. But it's kind of the same question now. Yeah. So some of the stuff you're bringing up there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like, at least for me, just from like a, a standpoint of a pastoral concern. Um, like when we don't like Jace to, to what you were saying about like having, you know, um, the things that can't be questioned, uh, when we present a version of the faith to somebody, uh, and say, this is the only way to think about this. And then they go out into the real world and that bad word experience, uh, <laughs> changes <laughs> what, what, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't line up with, uh, what they were told is the way to believe. Then those are the people I feel like say, oh, well, I guess that means I can't be a Christian. And, they, right. pe- and they peace out. And so why, why can't we be open and say, well, actually, even if you disagree with me, there, that takes humility. Even if you disagree with me, here are other ways that people think about this that are within the realm of Christian orthodoxy. Uh, like, I just, I don't know, from a pastoral standpoint, I feel like by being so 
strict and and firm on one these specific points, you're becoming a stumbling block. And that sounds yeah. really that's really judgmental to say or, or perhaps even arrogant. Um, but it just seems to be so true, especially with working with students. It's been been my experience, at least. Yeah, I think with students and I, I was a college uh, a college teacher, but also a college pastor for a while. And that's the time when, you know, when those young students, they're starting to move away from what their parents have thought about it. And their professors are saying things and, you know, they get to college and they're just like, everything I believed was wrong. And then they just throw it all away. Uh And if we would just be a little bit more open in their earlier years to actually let them wrestle with God, to question him and realize he's big enough to handle these questions, even if we don't have the answers. So I didn't always give every view that was out there, but I always, I always, hopefully I was always humble enough to say, Hey, this might not, this might not be the right answer, but let me just prepare you because someone else is going to be smarter than me. And they're going to say something out there. And I want you to know that I, I'm aware of what they're saying. Like, I at least know what it is. I can't give you all the answers, but don't worry about it. It's not going to kill you. Faith isn't dead. Come see me. Let's talk this through. I might not be able to answer everything, but let's talk this through. There's a lot of brilliant people that are well aware of the things that they're telling you in college and, and can, help, can help you uh, navigate life even without the fundamentalist box that you were in. Yeah, sure. And to, to swing things back to, I just this will be helpful for uh, people that, um, you know, really want to. I don't know what I, I was. I don't know how to say this out being condescending. Let's make let's let's go back to the Bible for a second, um, because the Bible, Jace. Uh, I mean, you have a hermeneutics degree. The Bible was created to give us answers, uh, right? And um, when when we read Scripture, it, there's no contradictions or anything like that. Um, and it's, it should be very straightforward. It's objective truth. When we read the Bible, that it says what it says, and that's what we need to believe. And so we can't doubt then because we have the Bible, and it gives us all the answers. Sure. Yeah, the Bible's an answer <laughs> book. Yeah, that's, that's the way we understand it. Um, and, you know, then you run into problems like, you know, Judas is hung or he's disemboweled. Um, does God change his mind or not? Uh, should we get rid of our... Gentile wives, or should we stay married to them? You know, the Ruth versus Ezra controversy. Um, do we kill people or love our enemies? The whole antithesis in the Sermon on the Mount, do we boil our Passover meals or don't we? Uh, you know, that's a direct contradiction between Deuteronomy and Exodus. Yeah. Uh, and we could go on and we could go on and on, right? Where was Jesus born? There's a million questions where you sacrifice things, don't sacrifice anywhere, sacrifice Solomon's temple, David paying 50 shekels of silver versus 600 shekels of gold, which don't add out to the same thing for the Israel's temple site. Like, I'm pretty sure that I can rattle off another 20 of those that <laughs> say, oh, the Bible's, the Bible's not quite as clear and isn't quite designed to give us all the answers that we want. There are problems. Like, we just say it's simple. The Bible's messy. Mm-hmm. It's super messy. And so if, we, if we're not doubting, if we're not intellectually um, thinking these things through, then we've just bought some cool little grid that was put over Scripture that doesn't account for the vast majority of Scripture. So mm. I think it's time for us to ask, what, what is the Bible actually doing? Like, do I have to obey these laws? This is, a, this is a difficulty with me in my particular church, because we're a confessional church, Westminster Confession. The law is, like, super vital. And, you know, here I am preaching that you don't have to obey the law anymore. Like, that's just, just ignore the law. 
like, okay, what laws? The ceremonial laws, you know, because that's our world. You know, get rid of the ceremonial laws, get rid of the civic laws. Um, you just have to obey the moral laws. Well, who, who decides which ones are judicial and which ones are ceremonial and which ones are, are moral? Like, mm-hmm. who makes that assumption? Is, is keeping the Sabbath a ceremonial law or is it a moral law? Uh, mm-hmm. It's part of the Ten Commandments. These kinds of questions are, are really difficult to deal with. So, and I'm saying, let's just ditch the law. The law is an illustration of wisdom. I think Tim Mackey says it like that. I know, I know John uh, Walton says it. Pete Enns talked about it like this, right? This, the law is an illustration of wisdom. So it's just an, an example of, you know, the Bible being messy. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember what you originally started with, as usual. <laughs> no, but I, do you want to say something, Marty? Or? Yeah, I was just going to say I had a pastor when, when, when I first became a Christian in high school, a pastor that used to say, the best way to think of the Bible is to use it as an acronym. The Bible is basic instructions before leaving Earth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking like, oh, yeah, that's kind of great. I kind of like that. But then and then I sort of as I've as I've grown in my faith and my understanding of Scripture, it's like, well, <laughs> look, it depends on your view of eschatology also. <laughs> so it also takes a lot of that away. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. I think too, like the <sighs> – Cause like that, I was told that exact kind of stuff growing up. Like I, the formative years of my faith early on were in a Southern Baptist church. Um, and so like that, that was kind of the idea. But once, um, I started reading and seeing like, well, these things aren't lining up. I don't get it. Um, I've come to just appreciate the diversity in scripture because it seems to be exactly what we're talking about now. It seems to me that, that the Bible perhaps is engaging in conversation, like authors are, are talking to each other. There'll be like a point counterpoint kind of thing, uh, wrestling with, you know, who is Yahweh? Who is this God, you know, fellow? Um, and I, what's the, there's a big word for it. it the Bible is multivocal, uh, multivocal. Is that it? Yeah. 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 Multivocal. So well does, done, Josh. yeah, thanks. <laughs> so does that, <laughs> When we start, but I think uh, the fear is then when we start speaking of the Bible that way, do we lose, uh, and I mean, for me, this isn't necessarily an issue because I wouldn't use this word anyway, but for listeners who care about this, do we lose the idea of biblical inerrancy when we start talking about the real, you know, conversations that are going on within scripture, you know, right there on the, the face of the text? Well, I guess it depends on how you define the word inerrancy, right? So... Um, I'm constantly asked, you know, can I, can I say that I believe in inerrancy? And I'm always able to say, well, sure, as long as you define it the way I define it and not by the Chicago statement of inerrancy, then we're fine. Like, I'm happy to say, like, to say that God makes a mistake, I think that's heresy. Okay. I think that would be a really bad thing. So God doesn't make mistakes. But if you see the Bible as your definition of perfect, that is, there's no grammar problems, there's no contradictions, anything like that, then then you're putting something on God or on the Bible that he never said it had to be. Like, he uses genre. He he has these kinds of discussions with this multivocal, what I think Brueggemann says, uh, the testimony of Scripture, but there's also a counter-testimony of Scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do these things and obey me, then everything's going to be great. Oh, crap. No, it's not actually great. It didn't work out at all like that. So that's the counter-testimony. And we've got we to wrestle with those things. We have to wrestle with all these verses that seem to be saying different things, the multivocality that you have, that this ancient, diverse, multiple perspective text 
that is not trying to lead us to the answer, unless you mean by that it's trying to lead us to Jesus, in which yeah. case I'm super thrilled with that. Um, in some sense, it's all heading to Jesus. It's Christotelic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not designed to give us an answer to our current problems. It's designed to lead us into wisdom. Oh. So I think the multivocality of it is is the point, and that's what we keep getting messed up. Like, we've got to figure out, is it doing this? Is it doing this? You know, is the Sabbath because of creation, or is it because you've been delivered from slavery? Well, it depends on which part of the Torah you read. Yeah. That's, but I, I love that. That actually leads me to something. It leads me to this recreation theme, and the tensions help me figure this stuff out. So Yeah. Well, I, I have a really interesting question, and I think you know I, I think someone ought to do a study on this, or, or maybe someone has, Jason. You can tell me. Um, and, and I'm actually being serious about this because if someone hasn't done this study, I think I might want to do this study. Um, but the questions that people are asking today uh, about faith, you know, that are leading people to walk away from faith, you know, whatever that whatever those questions might be, you know, maybe it's you know, and so maybe today, I guess, just to put a name to it, maybe people today are really struggling with just the general idea of homosexuality uh, and what Christians have, have been saying about it for the last 20 years, uh, because homosexuality has now been a vocal conversation, like an outward conversation instead of something that's been kept inside like it was, sure. you know, for the last, you know, who, who knows how long. Um, and so Christians have now come out and said things about that. And so then that's brought people to walk away from faith. Um, I guess my question is, and and so please tell me if this has already been done so I don't go through the the effort and the work because I'm kind of lazy like that. (laughs) Um, Are the questions people are asking today historically the same questions that people have been asking for 2,000 years? Um, You know, are are we asking the same questions when we're struggling and wrestling with our faith? You know, were there people, you know— 1500 years ago, asking questions about the inerrancy of scripture and coming to conclusions like you just came, like, like you just made, like where you just said, you know, if it leads us to Jesus, okay, great. But yeah, of course, we're going to say like, hey, you know, you know, Deuteronomy says, don't mark your bodies like the pagans do. Well, crap, I have tattoos. I guess I can't go to heaven. Um, Or, you know, or or maybe it leads someone to believe that that's true. <laughs> but I mean, legitimately, historically, are the questions we're asking today the same or are the questions we're asking today different, but framed in, a di- in, in the same way? Or is it just completely separate? Or maybe you don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just I guess I'm kind of curious. Um, well, I w- so the answer is yes and no. Right. They're asking they're asking some of the same questions. So uh, the question of inerrancy has been on the table for centuries. Um, <clears throat> Again, though, how you define it, you know, whether Calvin talks about it or Augustine talks about it, you know, these these differences are pretty significant. So we can't just univocally say here is the way that inerrancy should be understood based on the based on the uh, earlier things. But, and the same thing for questions like um, whatever social ethics kinds of questions. You know, what should we do about children in the womb? Well, I mean, the Bible actually kind of talks about some of that stuff. You know, yeah. how you have to pay a certain amount of money if the child is hurt inside the womb. So there are those kinds of things being talked about there, but they're not being talked about at the same level or in the same way. Uh, science has helped us through so many things and just new insights. Um, but yeah, these conversations, I mean, I don't know that every conversation has been had. I'm sure there's a lot of room for you to have these conversations. But yes, the way the New Testament talks about the old or the way uh, the fathers talked about scripture or the way Jewish people 
uh, you know, not as if any of these have one way of talking about it, but the way they've talked about these things. Yeah. Um, it's been a long conversation. I don't know if I answered the question, but no, no. Well, yeah, and, and I because I, I think the other side of it is like because earlier we we had said like you know we need to keep we need to keep asking questions we need to keep you know diving deep to and and it's a personal thing right it's not like a societal where hey we've solved this this problem and so we can move on i mean but at the same time we have solved the problem of who jesus is and what that means for our salvation what that means for us and so like that's a question that i think as christians many of us are willing to put to bed um but but I, so I, I think there is sort of the rain, the freedom to say like Let's let's ask questions about these specific things and let's keep that dialogue open. But I also think there's room for some of those things like, guys, like, you know, if if, if we go all the way back to the first time around Martin Luther's era where someone had their the first, you know, Bible that they'd ever looked at and they could read so they could actually hold the Bible in their hand and they could start reading scripture you know, and they started looking through it and they're like, wait a minute, this isn't what I've been told. And so they solved this problem. But then a hundred years later, we're asking the same question. Like, I, I think, I, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Like, you know, how, how long do we have to wrestle over the same things that that actually can be solved? Whereas, you know, but then there are other pieces where we say, hey, you know, we're not going to solve it all, but also it's not meant to be solved. It's meant for us to ask questions and dig deeper. So I just, I guess that's my, my thing is, yeah, I realized that, you know, there was a long period of time in there where the common man couldn't actually go read the Bible for, for him or herself. Um, so there's, there's that problem where they're probably, they're probably weren't asking any questions <laughs> at that point. Um, but I, yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying is, you know, so, I mean, you, you definitely answered it, but it leads me just to wonder about that thought process. You know, if, if there are questions we shouldn't be asking any further because they've been asked and answered in, in, in suitable ways, you know, how, how do we take those and say, Hey, like, that question has been answered. Here's a great answer for that. Let's just, you know, you know, ask the question, but here's an answer instead of ask the question and be you know, shunned for asking. It. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I think about like the question of what is the gospel? Like that seems like one that's been answered, right? Yeah. But in our current day and age, the way we think about the gospel, I'm not sure it actually has been answered or, you know, how does Paul understand um, the atonement? Something like that. Well, these are these are questions that we knew the answers to if we came up in a reformed faith. You know, for yeah. hundreds of years, they thought like this. Or Westminster Confession or Heidelberg answers these questions. But now, you know, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. So uh, now we have a totally different understanding of how Judaism works, and it's not anything like Catholicism. It's not a works versus um, versus faith kind of thing. Covenantal nomism and all all these things that Sanders and Wright and and, and you know brilliant people. The new perspective we're talking about, or the apocalyptic Paul, letter Campbell. So I, these are answer. These are questions that we thought were answered. Now we we like the Lutheran view instead of the Catholic view. Lutheran view. Well, now we got the new perspective view, and now we got the apocalyptic. So I don't, I don't know which, one, but I think you're ans- you're asking a great question, and I wrote it down when when you were talking earlier. Like there are some things that we do need to pound the pulpit over, right? Yeah, we need to be able to yeah. say, hey. These are truths that Christianity believes, and yeah, still we can still question, like you said. Well, Jesus is at the center of the circle. Yeah, but I mean, the definition of Jesus needs to be discussed. Like, hmm. what kind of Jesus are we talking about? So, is he the Mister Rogers Jesus? Is he the Divine Warrior Jesus? Gentle, yeah. humble, meek, and mild? Um, do we want baby Jesus? What What's the <laughs> Jesus picture that we want? 
Um, so seven pounds, okay six outs. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's okay to have to ask the question again humbly, even if it's. I mean, I'd even be okay with asking the creedal question: What does it mean for us to say that Jesus was born of a virgin? Like, I can say he was born of a virgin. I have no problem saying that. But what does it mean? Like, what? What's the depth in there? And so you've got people. You know, like uh, Dominic Cross and saying, you know, the resurrection is uh, is in our hearts, right? This is a whole world of theology out there, and yet I think, as an evangelical, I would say, no, it's not just in our hearts. That's amazing; it is good, but like we're talking about something that actually happened. Like he actually got up from the dead. You know, this mm. is pretty significant to our theology, but it's not significant to all Christians' theology. Like in the in the scope of Christianity, sometimes that's not in there. So you might say, "Well, those aren't Christians." Well, yeah, well, I'm sure we can keep defining what it is that makes us a Christian, but I think it's okay to at least ask even those unorthodox, heretical, hmm. maybe even blasphemous questions. Yeah, if we do it gently and carefully. But yeah. I do expect pastors in their particular churches to say, "Here's an answer to this." And this is where I'm going to stand. It might be a very minimal answer, like Jesus is Lord, Jesus, like, <laughs> and the rest is kind of still messy. But we got to we got to pound the pulpit on something. Yeah, well, and I and I totally agree with that. And and I, and I think you're essentially saying what I'm saying is, you know, even if the answer or even if the question seems to have been answered one million times. It doesn't yeah. mean you don't ask the question anymore. It just yes. means that, you know, there's a forum in your in your place of faith, in your in the place that you worship to be able to ask that question and not feel shunned or stupid because you're asking this fundamental question of faith that everyone else seems to know. Because for you, reading scripture and in saying, well, like John 316 says this, but like what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? So I feel like I need to ask this question. I feel like if you feel like you can't ask that question, then you are, you're, you're essentially putting up a barrier for your faith to continue until you feel like that question has been answered. So like, to me, the most fundamental of questions, you know, who is Jesus, um, all the way down to, well, geez, like premillennial, amillennial, like, I don't know. Like, I guess, I guess I don't know where I fall. Like, that those the gap between those two questions, if you can't go from the first one to that last one in a safe way, you're never going to get to the last one. And so it, it, like at a certain point, that question doesn't even matter anymore. Um, yeah. And then even be able to say, like Josh and I were talking before you came on, like, well, what about things like dinosaurs? I mean, people legitimately <laughs> are curious about that. Yeah. And people legitimately ask that question all the time. And the reality is I have friends that ask that question that are not Christians. And like, that is the question that they've been asking and asking and asking. And it literally is like the one thing or things like that question that keep them from being willing to give Christianity a chance is because they've asked that question and someone has told them it's a stupid question and hasn't tried to answer it. <laughs> and so for them, then they're kind of like, well, if you can't even answer that, like, why would I want to ask you about Jesus? Like, and that's a logical thing that makes sense to them. It may be fallacy to some people, but for them, that's logical. Yeah, I was. I mean, I could definitely talk on the that particular side, but let me get to the bigger thing that you were talking about. I just have a little example here. Um, 
one of my one of my friends, a professor at Westminster, said this to me recently. I'm in the EPC. I think I said that Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and I love it because it says uh, you know in in the essentials unity, right? In the non-essentials liberty. In all things charity, which is a great model for things, right? Yeah. So I think like this is a great home for me. It seems, but. I was told by this guy, he said, no, there's no way that you're ordainable in the EPC, which is a question that is on the table for me right now. So I've been here for eight months, but I haven't been ordained yet. So um, there, there is that question. Am I ordainable? And he said, no, you're really not ordainable because, and he said this kind of tongue in cheek, and I hope it's not true of the EPC, but it probably is true of some congregation somewhere. He said, the problem is that they stopped reading the Bible once the Westminster Confession was written. Oof. So we're, we're a confessional church, so we hold to the Westminster Confession. But the Westminster Confession is a 1600s document, right? And a lot has happened since then. Yeah. He said, your, your problem is that you're going to keep reading the Bible. You're a biblical theologian. So we're going to keep having questions. So Westminster didn't answer them all. And so I would say Westminster is a great place to start the conversation if we want to, or you know, to continue the conversation or jump off of. But it's not the definitive rules for how we how we believe about everything from now on. I should be able to, in my EPC world, question the Westminster Confession yeah. all over the place. Yeah. What it believes on the law, what it believes about Jesus. Like I should at least be able to ask those questions and then determine, oh, you know what? I think they were right at least right now. But in five years from now, I'm going to ask those questions again. Yeah. And I feel like we've said this a lot, but then that was just a little bit of an illustration. Like I might not be able to get ordained because I'm still asking questions. And I don't know anybody in my denomination. So hopefully there's people listening to it that think, Oh no, we're just all, we all stopped reading the Bible. Of course they haven't stopped reading the Bible. Of yeah. course they think we should ask questions. Right. But sometimes we tend towards that. Like, well, we have an answer so we can move on. Well, uh, yeah, it's a good place to start, I guess. So yeah, I worked for an RCA church for for two years, and I I always questioned the Heidelberg Catechism, and I got yelled at all the time. Uh, <laughs> the way to go, Marty. Yeah. There's a reason. There's a reason why I don't work for an RCA church anymore. <laughs> I worked yeah. I worked at this one church that had their own thing. They called insert church name here way, and I always questioned that way, <laughs> and I was told. Hey Josh, if you're gonna get along here, man, you just have to drink the Kool Aid. And I was yeah. like, Do you know what that means, bro? Like, <laughs> I'm not really a drink the yeah. Kool Aid kind of guy. But no, it's interesting. Because yeah, everybody died. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not following you to death, big homie. Like, yeah, right. whatever. But uh, <laughs> so I, man, I shouldn't bring that kind of stuff up. But yeah, whatever. But I, it's, wow, real experience, real life. Yeah, and, and this is what doubt does. It makes us think through things, and, and that gets us in trouble sometimes. Oh, absolutely, man! Like with so, I'll share a personal story of doubt that I haven't shared on the the podcast before. Um, there was a point in my faith, relatively recently. I mean, we're talking within the last year when I had what you would call a dark night of the soul, or some people use that language. Oh and, yeah. Um, I've had those before just from my experience of working in churches, and I have talked about that, but this one was very unique. And um, specifically, it's because, uh, you know, I really do try to take seriously various perspectives, which means um, even though it, you know, listeners will know this about me, it seems that I'm a bit more progressive uh, than conservative. Um, like, I still read 
the conservative, you know, stuff or uh, like reading reform theology, that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, I came to this realization that if if Calvinism is true, if reformed theology is true, then uh, I am not elect. And if I'm not elect, that sucks for me. And so that that uh, it sounds stupid, but it wrecked me. The logical conclusion yeah. of that belief system is if you don't agree and believe like us, then you are not saved because our faith is completely a gift from God. We're all pieces of shit that can't turn towards God, that can't think for ourselves. We're all evil. And the only way we have faith is through a gift from God, which I, I believe that our faith is a gift. Um, but their theology is a gift, like everything, which creates this closed circle. And so if you don't agree with us, then logically you are not saved because you're not elect. And like, I have been told that that wrecked me because what if, you know, for our reformed friends, if you guys are right, I'm sorry. Like I'm out literally because your system tells me so. So like that, that kind of thing is what I fear. And that drives me for my students. I never want to put them in a situation where they hear, if you disagree with me, you are not saved. You cannot be a Christian. Jesus doesn't love you. And you're going to experience God's love is hatred because that's what John Calvin said. Like, so that was, that was a personal thing for me. Um, that like wrecked me. Like I was kind of down for the count for like a solid two weeks, uh, really contributed to my depression. Didn't help that much at all. Um, but like that, that was an experience where I like I read Pete Enns's book, The Sin of Certainty, during that time, and that's when I kind of fell in love with the Psalms because uh, we see within the Psalms doubt and like making accusations towards God, like God, you lied to me, you broke your covenant, you don't protect me, you don't keep your truths, like all this stuff, and then then they'll say, oh, but we, you know, we're still going to praise you. And thank you for all the things that you did. So, like, I don't know. That's just me ranting about something. Um, yeah, I find that interesting. Um, so I would also recommend The Sin of Certainty. Pete's, I talked to Pete just yesterday. And oh, nice. We had, but, um, so, but I don't, uh, just for reform people everywhere, I, I didn't understand your causal link to okay. all of that. Like, some of us reform people don't think you have to agree with us on that stuff and you can still be saved. Sure. In fact, I don't even know any reformed people that think you have to agree with us. I'm sure there are, you know, those those super extreme Calvinists. I have, have some I have some buddies that Methodist will remind even charismatics are saved. <laughs> yeah. <Okay>. Ah, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, just for you, brother. <laughs> even you independent people in your independent churches with no kind of system that yeah, I don't have any problems with that. Why would why would you think you're not elect? Well, I guess we can do election some other time, but yeah. Yeah, that would be a fun conversation. But I just maybe, and it, it could be a, a failure to understand. But I was literally told when I asked this question to to a friend of mine who was like, "This was the logic that flowed." They're like, "Oh, well, that's just God convicting you to tell you that reform theology is right and that like you need to believe it or you're not saved." So like that's what I was told. So that was my assumption, which is. Which is not a fair. I, I completely understand and agree that I overcharacterized Reformed theology in that, and uh, or or generalized rather, um, and it wasn't a fair representation. But for me, in that moment, it was very real. 
you know? Sure. Um, well, let me apologize on behalf of all <laughs> reformed people everywhere for this person who told you that. Yeah. Um, that's, that's not who we are. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm reformed or not. I think I mostly am, but I, I don't even know what it means anymore. So, <laughs> well, yes, well, I, I also think that it's, it's, you know, Josh, just along those lines. I mean, I, I think when, when people say that kind of a thing, it's because they are looking to make faith in theology something that is it's 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 hard for me to say this because it's it, it sounds kind of mean and it, it, it might be judgmental it might I, it might be wrong so i'm willing to like put that disclaimer on it but they're willing to, they're trying to say that if you don't understand what we are trying to say on a, like a thinking level so like if you if you if you're not tracking with us then you must not get it and so if you don't get it then you don't get it kind of a kind of a mentality like right yeah. you know, like it's not you're that just I not, don't get it i don't agree with you <laughs> yeah it's it's but but they would say oh you don't agree with us but really what it is is you're just not smart enough to understand it so it's almost right. this like this like mean condescending like where our thought process is really high and we're thinking in this super high way. And so, I mean, if you don't get it, man, I'm just really sorry. But like, if you don't get it, you don't get it. And like that you're just never going to get it. And you could walk around believing you're saved your whole life. But I mean, I, I'm sure there are people out there that feel that way about me too, because I used to work at a reformed church and I don't anymore. And so like, there's, I mean, there were other reasons for that. I'm sure, you know, but I mean, all I'm saying is, is that I think that it becomes this, you know, they're trying to think, they're trying to place on you this sort of, oh, Josh, I'm really sorry, man, that you don't get it, but you don't get it, you know. So I would, I would, uh, I would not hold to it too hard, hard sure. and fast. Sure. I I wonder if doubt. Uh, maybe I'm changing the subject. A no, little you're bit good because we've talked we've talked a lot about intellectual doubt, like the reasons that we doubt are because we've had what you called the dark night of the soul that came because we noticed this scripture disagrees with this scripture or testimony versus counter testimony or the Bible's messy. Um, I wonder if a lot of the, it, I mean, if that's where we want to stay, that's fine. But you also said, you know, it contributed to my depression. Like I was already, you almost made it seem like you were already struggling with mm-hmm. something. And then there was this big hit that was like a jab to your neck. But like a lot of us, it's not an intellectual thing. It's just a, I mean, I guess everything's intellectual, right? Because it's all going through the brain. But sure. it's a, it's a, God, you, you're not, you didn't, you're not there for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you know, you've disappeared. And and, and, and yeah, if we're smart enough to think through, well, the Bible said that you're, you'd always be there for us, but you're not, there. we're not, we're not even thinking through all that stuff. We're just like, you used to be so real to me. And now this has happened. This crisis has hit me. So I had several dark nights of the soul, um, you know, over the last 20 years, probably three different major ones. But honestly, I have them like every day, depending <laughs> on what you mean by that. But yeah, like. Like I have new new spots where I go, huh? This is interesting, but it no longer makes me go back and go. I wonder if God is real at all. It just means I I just have to rethink my understanding of God or yeah. those things. But at some point, you know, we're not just we're not trying to rethink our understanding of God. We we're just, just like if you lose somebody that you love like crazy and. Now that person's gone. Mm-hmm. God wasn't there. Yeah. 
I, certainly it's intellectual, but it's not intellectual. I thought you loved. Yeah. Maybe you're not here at all. Maybe maybe you don't. Maybe you're there and you don't care. And so that stuff hits people too. Hello. You are listening to the Theology Doesn't Suck podcast. Dude, Marty, no. That's people don't want to hear it that way, man. It has to be it has what? to be more enthusiastic like this. Do you love Theology Doesn't Suck? Have you been listening to this show because you truly believe theology doesn't suck? The- no, dude. What? Dude, that's that's like that's it's so nerdy. Like people are like people don't think that's genuine, man. That sounds so weird. It needs to be something like this. It needs to be like you know, hey guys, like, I don't know if you realize, but we have a patron feed and it's, it's so awesome because like you get a lot of really cool stuff and you just like, you just have to give us some yeah, money. Yeah, but we can't just straight up be like, hey, yo, give us your money. Cause that's like, people don't want to do that either. It's disrespectful to our listeners. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Okay. So how about we do something like this? How about we do like, hey guys, it's Josh and Marty okay. from Theology Doesn't Suck podcast and you know here's the thing we love doing this podcast but you know as you probably know it takes a lot of effort and like we've got an awesome guy behind the scenes named matt who does like all of our awesome editing and all that stuff and you know it takes equipment and time and so like you know one of the things that we love about today's day and age is that there can be people out there that love our show so much that you just want to support us and so Josh, we started this awesome patron feed, and like, Josh, how, how can they find it? Like, what, what kind of stuff should they look oh, for? Well, yeah, and then we, we, well, we could tell them then, like, hey, go to patreon.com slash theology doesn't suck, and whereas for as little as $1 a month, right, you could become a patron, uh, and we have some different, you know, we could tell them about the different tiers, you know, where, where some tiers gives you access to a, a Facebook group specifically for patrons that allows you to do things like submit questions to be asked on episodes, uh, submit questions for bonus content, which, hey, bonus content is a part of another tier, some bonus episodes that are, you know, close to the public. So we could tell them those kind of things, right? Yeah, and, and one of the things we could do, which would be really cool, Josh, is like every once in a while, just because we're really good people, we could like send them stuff either digitally or like through actual mail. That's kind of cool. Like, you know, like I play in a band. So like, what if we come up with a CD and like, we've got a CD and I just want to send it to oh, them yeah. or something, you know, like, you know, like that's another cool idea. So like, you know, maybe that could be like some of the higher tiers. So like they would, you know, they would never know that something cool was coming, but then like, Hey, surprise, this is coming to you. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. And like, we could say like Christmas cards, cute stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That. That'd be great. How about, all right, well Uh, then how about we just tell people that and, uh, yeah, hopefully they go to patreon.com slash theology doesn't suck and, uh, join our, you know, theology doesn't suck community. Josh, I think, I think this is a good way for us to do this. So I think, okay, let's record this and wait, dude, I've been recording this whole time. Oh yeah, me too. Oh, all right. How about this? Let's just send this to Matt and, uh, we'll just go with it. Yeah. All right, great. Thanks, guys. We love you. Back to the show. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost. I guess it goes. Would you say it kind of goes back to like that? I that idea of experience. Um, Because like I was, I was talking to my, I was teaching on this actually to my students 
uh, the other week, and I was talking about how intellectually or maybe theologically we know and affirm God, you know, God's omnipresence, right? However, in these experiences in life like you're talking about, when we lose somebody or something super tragic happens, you know, Marty, I think back to some of the stuff that we talked to Thomas J. Ord about, you know, really horrific, evil things that happen. Yeah. Um, and maybe intellectually we know, oh, God is, God is there, God is in control, blah, 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 whatever you want to say. But experientially, it doesn't, it doesn't feel that way or it doesn't seem to be lining up. So perhaps, uh, is that kind of what you're getting at, Jace? Yeah, I mean, I can give you a pretty significant experience in my own life. You asked me about my biography, and I just went through and rattled through stuff because I didn't want to discourage or oppress anybody. But yeah, I mean, four years ago, I lost my wife to cancer. Mm-hmm. So she's in her young 40s. And now she's left three little kids and a husband who intense, all of the intensely loved her. Yeah. And we prayed like crazy. And we had a whole church praying for her. And she was a missionary. And we were pastors at different places. So we had thousands of friends. And they were all praying like crazy. And God, you know, he wasn't listening. Mm. He was busy. He was doing his own thing. I don't know, you know, working up something for the world somewhere else. But he obviously didn't care about me. And, and and honestly, I didn't feel all that stuff, but I can imagine that a lot of people would feel exactly that. Sure. And lots of people came to me and said, are you feeling these things? And for some, I think I had gone through enough before that um, in my intellectual doubts to realize that my understanding of God was always going to be askew. So, you know, finite person trying to understand the infinite that yeah. I didn't that I didn't get angry with God and stuff like that. But this is what I deal with in, the, in my office all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, this person left me divorce. Divorce causes people to just ditch God quickly. Or yeah. Some of them also cling to him all the more because they need him so much more. So it just, depending on who you are, directions you go, I guess I just wanted to make sure that we've, we've acknowledged that it's not just intellectual doubt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's experiential. Yeah, that's, I think that's right on. I know Jace, I've heard you talk before and like a, a freight, like a thing that you said that has, you know, has always stuck with me or I always remember um, specifically an example you, you've talked about is the idea that, you know, and Paul says that God will give us a peace that uh, surpasses all understanding. And you're like, yeah, but I don't have that peace. So experientially, yeah, wanna, it doesn't line up. I just want to punch Paul in the throat. Like, how <laughs> dare you say that? Like, I don't feel that at all. Peace yeah. surpasses all understanding. And I remember Jack, my wife, Jack, she, she said, I don't, I don't feel this. There's no peace. I've got things to do. I want, I have people I want to love. I've got I'm doing all this stuff. This is not peaceful at all. And she didn't go off all peacefully and beautifully and like, you know, like the perfect little Christian. And she wasn't cursing God in any way, but she was confused. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense. And so she had to say, and what I've said a million times is I have to trust the God that I understood when my mind was healthy. Okay. When, when I felt like I was at the right spot. Yeah. Like, cause right now I'm in the middle of tragedy and we all know, I mean, if anybody taking psychology, this traumatic stress, this, it's like wounding our brain. Like I go to counseling and she, this, uh, the woman who counsels me tells me this all the time. You've been wounded. Like it's a real, it's scabbing over, but it's, it's a real wound and it messes stuff up inside of you. So, yeah, man. Yeah. The, I don't know. It's just like, it's crazy, which like, I guess the, like the word trust and, and faith and all that kind of stuff comes in when you're when you're saying it. I, I guess just to to tie a nice bow on things here like that, 
I think that's why we use those words faith and trust and not a word like certainty. Mm-hmm. Um, because experientially, we don't have that. And also, certainty, um, I don't think is the, the opposite. Or what do they say? Like, doubt isn't the opposite of faith. Um, certainty is or something like that. Yeah. And Lamont, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said something like that. And um, so I don't know. I think that's why, you know, we just have to then lean on things that we don't understand, like like faith and trust. And that can be hard because, you know, appealing to mystery seems like a bit of a cop out. Um, yeah. But then that's that's why people like uh, Thomas J. Ord, like, interests me so much just because – I mean, even though I don't, you know, fully agree with his system, although like I think it's beautiful and it brings me peace of mind that there are people that think and feel this way. And, um, you know, that's that's good. It, it helps me to that extent that like, OK, I'm glad people understand this. But he I mean, his book, God Can't, where he talked about that. It's not that, you know, God chooses not to stop evils in the world. It's that God can't stop them because God in his pure essence is love. Love isn't coercive. Blah, blah, blah. You know the argument. So, like, those kind of things appeal to me in those situations um, specifically, and I've noticed that. But then, like you said, kind of when my my mind is more healthy or whatever, um, then I start to kind of push back on those, you know, kind of ways of thinking and say, okay, well, that was helpful for me at this point in time, but perhaps it's like this. So, for me, it's always this constant shuffling and moving. uh, But ultimately, and, and Marty and I have we'll talk about this till we're blue in the face, but we just want to push people to Jesus. Cling to Jesus is like, it seems to be our message pretty constantly, Marty. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty good message. I'm, I'm pretty okay with that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I like, I like that you contrasted certainty and trust. Yeah. And I think a lot of people talk about belief, you know, you need to believe in Jesus, just believe in Jesus. And, and our word believe is just, uh, it's messy. It doesn't, it doesn't say what we wanted to say. We think believe means, well, I acknowledge that God exists or that Jesus died on the cross. It's just acknowledgement. But I think the word like you used, having trust, um, where, where you can, you can truly rest in who this, who this Jesus is so that you can cling to Jesus, as you said, I think is so much more powerful than believe. And I think it's what's meant by belief throughout there, but we just, in our modern sense, belief just is an intellectual assent to. Right. And I just want to. I want to. I want to herald what you're saying. Yeah. Clinging to Jesus is what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I just think of you know. I know that this is a little bit more Christiany uh, than like you know like this someone that's maybe struggling or doubting or questioning. But you know, I I feel those ways and I feel those things when I'm in the midst of worshiping the Lord. Um, you know, and I, and worshiping the Lord specifically through music, um, you know, for that's obviously my job. So like, of course that's where I feel it the most, but, um, you know, I just think of our service yesterday and, um, you know, as we're, as we're singing songs and as we're worshiping and as we're being led to that, and I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing people of different places, knowing that their that their stories are all different. Um, you know, this, I, 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 I minister in a, a, a smaller church. It's not super small, but I, I, so it's easy to know everybody. And so you can look around the room and you can know throughout this past week, even, you know, that there have been struggles and that there have been victories in people's lives. And you can see, um, as people are worshiping, I mean, it's almost as if you can see Jesus working in people's lives 
Um, those who are those who have had victories, you can see them praising the Lord and, and being so grateful that they have that opportunity. And those that have been wrestling with with struggle, with doubt, with worry, with fear, you can see Jesus working in those places. But it's when they've entered into that place that you see it, um, because you can also see the other side of that. You can see you can see the person who is closing their mind to that thought process in the moment. You can see. Um, that, that may, maybe this week there's been struggles and they've particularly come to church, but they're not quite willing to enter into that place. Um, yeah. And so it, 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 you can see real pain in people and you can see real victory in people. But I think, I think one of the things that I've learned about ministry that's really helped me is, you know, when, when you, when you know that you're answering God's call in ministry is when, and this is my opinion, so people don't have to agree with it. That's fine. But uh, what's what's been a truth for me, I guess, is what I'll say is when, when you know that you've been answering God's call in ministry is when you can look at somebody and you can see that God is working on them and you can see that there's that there's real change and there's real things happening that God is doing in that person's life in the moment. Um, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with the work you're doing or how good you are playing the guitar or preaching the word or whatever. But it has more to do with the fact that this person is entering into, into relationship with Christ in this moment, that they're entering into communion. And that is bringing them from one place to the next in that there's transformation happening. And it's small. And for some people, it's huge. But for some people, it's little stuff. And, and so, I don't know, I think for me, that's been... You know, as we just think about this idea of questions and faith, I mean, people are wrestling with this every day. People are dealing with things every day. People are asking questions. They're not, they're not, it's not always the massive question. What is the meaning of life? Or what's my purpose on earth? Like, you know, there are some churches that want to make, you know, they want to do a five sermons, a five five week sermon series on questions. And the questions are going to be the most broad, basic you know, what is the purpose of life? Why am I here? And of course, those questions are like, you can, you can, you can take a, you can like softball that out of the park every week just by talking about the basics of Christianity. <laughs> but like, there are people asking some of those questions, but I think a lot of people are asking more specific ones. And I, it's so great to see Jesus working on people, um, whether they're ready to say they've answered the question or whether they are you know, still wrestling with it and they'll be wrestling with it forever. Um, I think that's okay. And, and, and I love watching when that happens. So I, that's been my victory in ministry, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. Just, I agree with, with, with what you're saying there. And I love watching, um, like students yeah. and, you know, whoever, uh, wrestle through difficult things while clinging to Jesus. Um, and just growing because I really think in the wrestling is where our faith has grown and strengthened in the doubting is where our faith has grown and strengthened. And then at the end of the day, you come out better and stronger because of it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, but we've, uh, we want to be, be fair to Jace's time. Cause you know, I told him X amount of minutes and we're, we could keep talking all day. I feel like, <laughs> so perhaps, Perhaps we should we should try to shut things down here and uh, but also too, Jace. I think it'd be fun uh, to have you back on to to kind of share show off some of your your expertise knowledge. Maybe we could talk about like uh, historical Adam and Eve, or maybe like the Dead Sea Scrolls, or something fun like the the Book of Jubilees or Enoch or something ridiculous. Uh, that would be fun. Uh-huh. 
What do you think? Oh, we want to do a second temple interpretation. I would love that. Historical Adam, I'd love to talk about that. Wait till after I'm ordained, please. That's <laughs> an issue. Uh, yeah. fact, don't air this if you could till after uh, those <laughs> conversations take place because it's an issue right now for me. I'm, I'm, yeah, sure. I'm feeling that one pretty practically. So I've had to do a lot of defending and, and thinking through those things. But yeah, I would love to show off my quote expertise. Sure. <laughs> awesome, Jay. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, you know, I think uh, this conversation will be helpful for many people. I, I just love when uh, we can do these, at least in our experience, Marty, uh, let me know if you disagree. But when we have these conversations that are more personal and we just kind of talk about um, experience and how God has been real to us or, or at times maybe not real or those kind of things, uh, those kind of episodes really resonate with people. Uh, because it's real, it's story, it's true. And um, rather than just mm-hmm. like, hey, here, you know, explain to me the, you know, the intellectual reasons why, you know, you wrote this book and blah, blah, blah. Not that those things are bad. You know, those things are great. But just the, the realness of episodes like this, I think, really resonate with people. And so thank you for, for sharing yeah. and, and being a real person and, um, you know, putting yourself out there. My pleasure. Great talking to you guys. Sweet. All right, Jace, take care. And uh, for our listeners, as always, you can find us on, on Instagram uh, at Theology Doesn't Suck and also Twitter as well. Uh, join our Facebook page. And as you heard earlier in our cute little Patreon commercial, we do have a Patreon feed. So uh, be sure to check that out as well. All right, guys, thanks uh, again for listening. And go Caps. Go Blackhawks. <laughs>